0: some listener questions and listener feedback that's going to lead us down a very deep conversation today. I want to talk about that. Tariffs, probably revisit the Greenland conversation. That and more on today's True Act show. This is the best thing, the best thing that could be happening. And I think you Especially during the tariff conversation today, I have to make the concerted effort to turn off my natural air of superiority because I need to be a humble warrior for those ideas that are best for people. I noticed this very bad thing about myself, that there are some ideas for me that are so obvious that when someone has a different one, I I respect them and I value them because they're a person made in the image of God. But it's hard for me to conceptualize. So like you don't see it, like you don't actually see this point. And so when we get to tariffs today, I'm gonna have to do my best just to be a normal, decent human being. I also want to revisit that whole should we buy Greenland kerfuffle. There's a lot I want to do on the show today, but a lot of it is driven by you, the listener, because you continue to to provide. Great ta- content, great feedback, great questions, and we're going to get started on all of it in just one moment. My name is Corey Truax. I'll be your host for the hour. That works out well because the name, the show is named after me. Among many other things, I am the pastor for teaching at Beachwood Church. Beachwood Church, by the way, just had a really high attendance Sunday. We didn't try, but a whole bunch of new folks, if you want to be one of those new folks, you should come by. 10.30 on a Sunday morning, Beachwood Church in Greenville, South uh, in South Carolina. Here in Greenville, we'd love to have you. What else I, what else do I say about myself? Oh yeah, here on the Corey True Act show, we're dedicated to smarter, deeper, better talk about everything. What I typically find in conservative talk radio and in talk radio generally, because there's some liberal talk radio, it's just not very good, is that there's very shallow talk, there's very dumb talk, and it's not very good talk. So we want to have smarter, deeper, better talk here on the Corey True Act show. Speaking of excellent talk, I, I want to start with a very self-indulgent reading of an email. Like, I, I just needed to pump up my own ego for a minute. Uh, Martin wrote in. He wrote in a, a couple weeks ago as well and disagreed about something. And, and this is why I like you people. I like my listeners. I'll admit, I wish there were more of you. There's a lot more, I think, more of you than you probably realize. And the show's doing okay. I'm, I'm grateful for that and praise the Lord praise the Lord for it. I love my listeners because a lot of you listen and you don't agree with me on everything and it shows you're an adult and you're mature and you know how to operate on this planet. I was talking to a friend here recently. Uh we had coffee together, I guess it was last Saturday. And we hadn't talked we hadn't really been in the same place in years and she brought up how we agree on nothing politically and she always loved to talk to me about politics because I have I have no animus. I have no meanness in me about if you think differently than me, all right, that's cool. I think think you're incorrect. I think you have the wrong assumptions or maybe the wrong information, but that's cool. Like, you're a decent person. Like, just be nice to people. We can all be nice. And so Martin wrote in a couple weeks ago. He disagreed with me on something. And then he wrote in, I'm going to read it verbatim. He writes in and says, Corey, your show about capitalism, including both Milton Friedman Friedman, and your own comments, was the best ever. And then he put an exclamation point, guys. It was the best ever, so take that. And then he says, is there a way to download the podcast uh, to keep, or can I? Can you only listen, only listen online? Uh, yeah, uh, those of you that have a smartphone, if you have an Android or Apple, you can download that episode. It'll live on your phone forever. Uh, if you have just an I- iTunes on your computer, you can go find the show and just download that file. It'll be there forever. Moreover, if any of you ever want a show and you don't know how to access it, it's out on my website, CoreyTruax.com. I can also always email you an MP3. I'm glad to do it. Uh, I'm a little slow sometimes on these emails, but you can just email me and I'm glad to do it. Hey, Martin, thank you, man. That means a ton to me. I have listened back to that show later, at least some of it. I try not to be that much of an indulgent, sycophantic, prideful, crazy person and listen to my own show. But sometimes I listen back for quality control. I just want to see how good the show was. I was very satisfied about how that show turned out. I think it's an important topic, and especially with the gravitas of Milton Friedman, that certainly helped a lot there as well. So thank you, Martin, for that one. Next, John. He wrote in on Facebook and called me out because uh, at the end of the show where I had the flu, remember that show where I didn't sound right and I was on a bunch of chemicals and medicine? Apparently at the end of that show, I said... Something is different. That's we have mass shootings now. We used to not have mass shootings, and it's not access to guns. We've always had access to guns. We've always had opportunity for these types of events. So what has changed? And John wrote in to say, "Hey, man, you said that you'd come back and the next week and tell us why what you think has changed, and you never did." And so, good point, John. Thank you for saying so. You know, Charlie, another listener, he shared the show on Facebook, that particular episode with some kind things to say about it. The, the show when I had the flu, he had some nice things to say. So uh, I do want to revisit that. And it's going to lead us to the other listener question I wanted to get to today, and that was from Laura. Uh, I could, I don't know how young Laura is. She's definitely, she might be my youngest listener. I'm getting the impression that the this young lady might be in high school or college. Um, but basically, she wanted to know... Ha- has it always been this way when it comes to the rancor? When it comes to how much we distrust and dislike and hate each other? Like I think what her email was, you seem like a person that doesn't actually love conflict, but you're into politics and government and culture, which has a lot of conflict. How did you get here? And how did, was it always like this? Was, were people nicer when you started? Is kind of her question. And so I want to get into that one. And the two are connected. So first with John. John's question what am i what do i think changed so we we have a situation where we cannot deny the mass shooting events are happening more often this is a fundamental truth and it cannot be denied we have more situations where people go out and shoot often murder a lot of people at one time that's happening more than it used to and so i, I look at all the ingredients i look at there's a person there's a gun, there's a, another group of people that are all in one place, and that's all been true for decades and decades, if not centuries, and particularly with the access to the weapons often being used in these shootings. We've had access to those things for a long time. And so why is the rate of these events going up? What has changed to cause it? Now, one of the things I'm hearing, because I had a couple of you write in, and some of you said, well, it's it's all of the media we take in. What's new, what's different is all the video games guys are playing and all of the violence that we see on TV. Like, this is the new thing. That's the the ingredient that wasn't there before. And I think there is something to say there. I, I don't like throwing video games under the bus and media under the bus for these things. Because at, at some level, there, there has been access to entertainment mediums that have featured violence for a long time. Moreover, if you go back to previous generations, we've had, we, we used to have way more men in the culture that had seen very violent things. If you're coming out of World War II and then you go think about Korea and Vietnam, we had more people walking around that had seen real violence. And, and even though we've had the Iraq War and Afghanistan War, we're talking about less than 1% of the American population was actually directly involved in those conflicts. And so I, I'm, not, I'm not... Those of you that made that argument that it's, it's the video games and it's the, it's the things we see on TV, I'm sure there's some role there. It's not my theory about what happened. I think what's different is that we've had a fundamental loss of meaning. I've talked about it on the show before. One of the crises that we have in our culture is a crisis of meaning. Why are we here? What are we supposed to do? How do we know if we're living a good life? And even though I think the the version of Christianity that permeated most of American culture throughout its history might not be the real one, might not be the real biblical one, it did infuse meaning in life. Benjamin Franklin talked about the American religion. And he would use Christian language, but he talked about the American religion being the, the idea of caring for your fellow man, doing good for your fellow man, knowing that, Uh, There is a a reciprocity in a culture that you do good and people will do good back to you. It's the golden rule. And so we had a cultural cohesion throughout American history that even though there might might not be people genuinely following the Jesus of the Bible, there was a religious cohesion where the vast majority of Americans called themselves Christians. We essentially agreed on some moralities. We essentially agreed that marriage is good. And taking care of your family is a good thing. Being faithful to your spouse is a good thing. Having kids is a good thing. Uh, m- making a living and being independent is a good thing. Hard work is good. It's not something to avoid. Going to church on Sundays is good. Uh, especially going to church on Christmas and Easter is good. Like this was, there was some culture, cultural cohesion and meaning. So when people needed to know What is the meaning of my life? Well, part of the meaning of your life is, what are you doing in terms of leaving leaving a legacy? What are you doing for your family? What what are you leaving behind you in terms of reputation, your own name and people? And as we became a more irreligious people, we come to a crisis of meaning. We we could even go... I mean, you can take this to a lot of different levels. You know, I went to a religion, but another thing that we, we used to have, I'm not saying that it's inherently better, but it used to be the case that the vast majority of Americans were born in, raised in, and stayed in, died in, the same, like, town, in the same 30 or 50 miles I, I, of, of where they were born. I saw a study on that from the 2000 census. Uh, I think it might be the 1990 census. I'm a... Census Bureau nerd, but I remember seeing a study in my lifetime that showed majority of Americans died less than 30 miles from where they were born. Like, that was a part of what used to be our our culture, and that's not the case anymore. Like, we move like crazy. I've given you the stat before that my parents' generation had something like an average of four and a half employers over their lifetime. Like, they stayed in jobs a long time but I'm one of the older millennials. We're on pace to have something like nine or ten employers over our lifetime. And so we had these cultural cohesions, whether they were religious, sometimes it was work, it was our hometowns. And one of the things that we valued was our our reputations and our legacies. And all of that's broken down. The culture fundamentally changed. It became more irreligious. We became more transient. And the value of life itself became cloudy. I think that's a big part of what's changed here. What's changed is our culture has diminished the value of life and where we find meaning in life. We struggle to find meaning now, and when there's no meaning in life, it's going to lead some dark souls, it's going to lead some evil people to do even really unbelievably evil things. So I think that's a big part of it. I had one other one other of you write in and they talked about prescription drugs a lot. You said that's the new thing. The new thing is how many drugs we're on. And so for those that said it's the drugs and the pills and the 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 anxiety and the depression meds, and those that said it's the entertainment and the uh and, and the and the video games, I'm not outright disagreeing with you. I am saying that the fundamental change that has happened Is not the gun, and it's not the people. It's that we used to have a cultural cohesion that brought us together, where we had some common interest and also common definitions of that which is good and that which is bad and how we judge our lives. When we lost that cultural cohesion, when it came to religion first, I think our jobs and our, our, our hometowns and our cities where we came from, I think life lost a lot of meaning. And as people search for meaning, some folks end up in a very, very dark place. So that's uh, from from John. Now that's going to lead us right into a question from Laura. So we a young person writing in, kind of asking the question, has it always been like this? Has the American culture always been this acidic around politics and culture? It, co- it connects right back to what John asked there on shootings. We're going to come back and talk about that. I hope not for the rest of the show. There's a lot I want to do. So let's come back and do that and more on the Corey Truax Show. <music> Welcome back to the Corey Truax Show. Let me encourage you to do this very wise thing. That wise thing is where you find me, Corey Truax, on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Look for me, Corey Truax. You'll find me there, amongst many other things that you get to have, especially on like Instagram. I'm learning to play the piano, guys, and so. You can watch me do that and struggle and fail. It's it's a good time. But you can also get other content throughout the week, and I hope you will. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Look for me, Corey Truax. You can also reach the show at Corey Truax Show at gmail.com. Corey Truax Show at gmail.com. And you can contact the show through all the social media sites as well. Speaking of that, I got a message, as I mentioned before the break, from Laura. I believe that was on Twitter. She seems to be quite young. And. So, so, hey, and so thanks for listening, by the way. I don't know if you listen regularly, Laura, but hey, thanks uh, for being young and listening to this. Uh, so the question basically is, uh, she sees me as someone who doesn't like conflict. She's correct. I don't like it at all, but is into things that are naturally conflicting. So culture, politics, having a talk show, for, the, for that matter. And she asks, has it always been this way? Like, has it just been different? Uh, was it different when you got into it? And I think this is a very important question because we have to admit, I don't think this is even controversial, politics is broken, the country is broken, the, w- the way we talk to each other is broken. I mean, there is a lot of just anger out there. There are some of you who listen. So a lot of people I know just love being angry. Just seethe all the time at all the people that you're mad at. Like this is, it's not healthy, it's not good, but th- the country is broken. We don't, we, we have a lot of sh- generally People who don't think, but they talk anyway. Like it's it's bad out there. I said I saw a a meme somewhere here recently that was uh I'm gonna I'm gonna mess this up, but it was the top of the meme said something like this is how the internet works. And someone says I'm just gonna make up a new one because I can't remember their specific thing. Uh, Someone says I really love tuna sandwiches, and then the next person responds. You know, how bigoted of you? You didn't even talk about grilled cheese sandwiches and ham sandwiches. Like, you need to educate yourself. Like, the, the, and it, the internet is like that. Like, you just say you like a thing, and people will come at you about all the other things you don't like and how it means you're probably a bigot and a bad person. Like, conversation is broken. The politics are broke. Everything's bad. Like, let's just admit it. When it comes to our natural, our national discourse, everything's terrible. So, Laura, and to all of you, here's what I think happened. I'm going to give you a narrative, and I would love your response on this. I'd love to know if you think I'm I'm being too myopic or I'm being too short-sighted in how I view what happened. So it's always been, I mean, politics has always been rough and tumble. You'll hear some people say, you know, politics isn't even any worse now. You know, uh, Thomas Jefferson said John Adams was like a hermaphrodite. And John Adams says if you elect thomas jefferson then your wives and daughters will be raped in a like in the streets that's how bad it'll be and those points are true but i i thought we would recognize politics is different now than it used to be and how we all think about each other i mean i I just see polls like uh, it used to be i think uh when was the last time i saw this i think it was a Gallup poll Using my recall is pretty strong here, so you can fact check me and see if I'm wrong. Is sometime in the in the 80s Americans were asked if your if you had a kid and they married someone of the other political party, would you be disappointed? And it's a very small group of people. Like very small group of people said, yeah, here we are a Democratic family, and if our daughter married a Republican, I would be very upset. Like it was a very small group of people, and now that number is very high the amount of people who say they are friends with someone of another political persuasion is small, like we hate each other. So I do think something has changed. And here's the narrative that I have created. I think it does go back to the 90s. Part of it is the creation of the internet where, I mean, the internet obviously changed the world, but it did several things specific to politics. So some folks who felt alone, realized they weren't. So they might have some fringe ideas, but the internet connected them. They were the only person in their town that thought this thing, but they found out there's a bunch of people across the, the country that thought this thing. And so it connected people out on the fringes. That's one thing it did. And then it also exposed us to our neighbors. And so people that are just generally nasty, we didn't know they were nasty. They had no platform. But then the internet comes along and gives everyone a platform. And, and then, because the internet also makes everybody uh, dehumanized, right? So that, that person is just a name on a screen. That's not an actual human being that has a mom and a dad and a life and goes to work. That's just a person on a screen, so I can be as mean to them as I want. And so uh, it also exposed us to the fact that, oh, there's some really bad people out there. We didn't even know they were there, but they're nasty to us and So the the internet comes along in the 90s, and it exposes us to one another in a way that wasn't quite healthy, and none of us were ready for it. Number two, the Lewinsky thing happens, and I think something began to break. Because before the Lewinsky thing happens with Bill Clinton, and if you don't know this, Laura, she seems kind of young again, there was, we, we had an intern in the White House, the President of the United States, Bill Clinton, had an affair, committed adultery with this intern, And during the beginning part of that process, uh, in the news unfolding, the argument from Democrats and folks on the left was, "No, he didn't do it. No, he didn't do it. No, he didn't do it." And then it was, "Yes." And then we found out, "Yes, he did." And the argument stopped being he didn't do it. It was, "Well, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that he did this. He still should be president. He should lead uh, because personal character doesn't matter in leadership and government." And so that this was new. There was like a, there was an agreement amongst Republicans and Democrats to at least pretend to care about character, and so when Richard Nixon did what he did, like Republicans would vote, were willing to vote to impeach, and you know, they didn't ever have the chance because he resigned. But you go back to the polls back in those in the seventies, there Republicans thought he should go. Like there was a, there was an agreement around character, like at least we are going to pretend that we care how people live and democrats at the time folks on the left said no we don't anymore we don't care there can be garbage people and we're not going to do anything about it and so i think that broke some republican heads it broke some conservative-minded people that they thought they're not playing fair anymore and if they're not going to play fair we're not going to play fair and so you have ends up being a growing culture war because the morals and standards had changed so that happens in the 90s that leads to the 2000s where there's a, a, a year 2000 George W Bush wins his election and the left can't handle it because he lost the popular vote and there was some controversy in Florida he rightfully won Florida by the way if you if you do the the good research read winning right by Ed Gillespie lays it out really well he won Florida fair and square but it broke the left because he lost the electoral excuse me he lost the popular vote and there was a, a movement called Selected Not Elected. The President Bush wasn't wasn't rightfully the president. And so you already had the the right distrustful of the left because of how they handled Clinton. Now the left is distrustful of the right because they think their president was not duly elected. And then 9-11, then Afghanistan, then Iraq. And the, the stakes go up. The, there's an escalation of distrust and hatred, and then with social media comes along in 03 and 04 to, again, ex- expose us all to one another. There is this moment in 2008 because of, of a financial calamity. Actually, I think, culturally, I would argue that the financial calamity of 07 and 08 did more to affect our culture than 9-11. I think that was more significant, the financial implosion that took place then. There was a moment of uncertainty and a big financial calamity for people that happened in 07 and 08, which led to an election with Barack Obama. There was a moment, there there's some hope there that maybe he could be a unifying figure. The man had no interest in being a unifying figure. He had his enemies and the people he wanted to destroy. He did nothing to unify. And Republicans didn't didn't help either, but he was not by no stretch, he had no intention to try to unify. And so that leads to, I think this is the moment That really did break America. We got to twenty twelve. And Republicans put up the most anodyne, unobjectionable person you can imagine. Republicans nominate a Mormon with his gajillion kids and his gajillion grandkids who would lived a life... We ended up seeing the tax returns where so this guy's giving away almost one-fifth of everything he's made. Like, a genuinely decent, good person. And then... So we we put up... The Republicans put up this guy. And at the same time, the economy has been terrible. People have this economic problem of unemployment that was above 10% for a record number of months, above 8% for a record number of months in, in, in the history of our country. So they're still... The outcome of the financial calamity, we have the results of the Obama presidency, is terrible. Every economic result is terrible. The foreign policy is terrible. Republicans put forward a decent human being, and they called him a racist and a sexist and a terrible person. They, like, tried to ruin his life. And when Mitt Romney lost, I think it broke a bunch of people on the right. I think a bunch of them went, you know what? If that's how you're going to do this, if we can put up this guy and you're going to try to wreck his life, oh, watch what we do next. And I think that's partly how you got Trump, by the way. I think the way the the media and the left treated Mitt Romney, broke enough people on the right that they said, if you want to go to war, we'll go to war. Now, I'm not one of them. I, 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 don't ca- I don't care to win a war if I have to cheat to win or if I have to do something unethical to win. I would rather lose elections and have my ethics and my my morality than to win elections and sacrifice all the ethics and morality. And so I think 2012 broke the country in a way that I I don't know how to fix it. And then 2016 comes, we all know what happened in 2016 with those two terrible people who were running for uh, the two main parties. And it's only gotten worse since I don't know that there's a way out. So that's the narrative. That's how we got there. Now, There's some deeper meaning here that goes back to what John asked. John asked about uh, what do you think happened with shootings. Well, I think one of the reasons we have more mass shootings is because we've lost meaning, the meaning to life. That has also exasperated our political problem. I'm about to take you back into history. Let's go back into the 1600s. There's something you can Google if you want to called the Peace of Westphalia. This is where Catherine the Great got together with uh, the the Catholics, and we decide we're going to stop killing each other. Catholics and Protestants aren't going to kill each other anymore. We're going to have peace between these two groups, the Catholics and the Protestants. And up until the 1600s, you could say that religion and politics were naturally joined. But when we decided with the Peace of Westphalia that we're actually going to separate the two... That there's going to be politics, but we're all going to agree that there's a general religious background to the politics that we're doing. Well, that led to some peace. You actually think it partly led to the Enlightenment of the 1700s, 1800s, 1900s. But then when we get to the to the late 1900s and we become so irreligious, there's a a vacuum that nature abhors. Religion was filling this fabric of the culture. It was the background fabric. And as religion diminished, people didn't have a cohesion and what they filled it up with was politics. And so instead of finding meaning in their religion, there's a bunch of people now that find their meaning in life by their politics. And so the same way that Catholics and Protestants before the Peace of of Westphalia hated each other, they were literally willing to kill each other We've got something close to that now because people have replaced what religion was with politics. So that leads to the final point of this for Laura. I think that's how we got here. That's the narrative of how we got here. I think the underlying cause is that we replaced religion with politics for a lot of people, and so they feel it so deeply that when someone disagrees with them politically, they actually see it as heresy. Like, this, that person is falling away from the faith. They must be destroyed. we got to burn them at the stake type of situation. So then that leads me to my final point, and not one that Laura asked. So then what is that solution? Well, that solution is primarily going to need to come from each of us individually. You can stop viewing politics as religion. You can stop hating the other side. Listen, if you hate the anti-Trump people, you are part of the problem. And if you are an anti-Trump person and you just despise the Trump people, they're the worst, you're part of the problem if you just hate Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Ayanna Pressley and these people need to be destroyed, you're part of the problem. And if you are, we've got to destroy the Mitch McConnells and the big bankers of the world and the oil companies and the pharmaceutical companies, and then equally, if you're out there going, but we've got to get, got to get the unions and those Democrats, you are part of this problem. So you can stop treating humans like your enemies. And you can stop treating politics like they're religious wars. And you can consider that those who disagree with you are human beings made in the image of God. They are people to try to convince. They are not people to hate and destroy. We've gotten to a point for a lot of you, I'm not going to include myself in this. There is a point, for, there's a point of a lot of, for a lot of Americans that they feel so righteous in their hatred. They hate some people and it makes them feel good about themselves, guys. They feel good about themselves because they feel like they hate the right people. Oh, that's poisonous to a culture. So, how do we fix this? Well, you can stop hating the people you disagree with. And some of them will hate you anyway. And you just love them right back. You respond to hate with love. That's what you can do. Second thing you can do is you can spit yourself out of the system. One of the things I'm noticing. For uh, I would even include like a guy like Ben Shapiro in this. I love Ben Shapiro. He's the most talented guy in conservative media. We we need more of him. But you know he he's recently come around. And he's gonna, He's going to vote for Trump in 2020 and all that. But he seems to be that the reason he's doing that primarily is because he's looking at Democrats and they're so their ideas are so destructive that he just sees Trump as the vehicle to stopping those destructive ideas. And then there are those that are so just anti-Trump that they are willing to partner up with bad people and with people with destructive ideas because they are they perceive them as the only way to remove the, the threat that is Trump. You know what you can do? You can spit yourself out of that system. You don't have to pick a side. That's so liberating. I wish I could put that on a billboard on every interstate, every mile across the country to say to all of Americans, You don't have to pick a side. Be free. Let me declare that over you. Be free. Stop thinking you have to side with the president. Stop thinking you have to side with Republicans. Stop thinking you have to side with Democrats or their candidate. Did you know you don't have to participate? That's a broken, poisonous, terrible system. You don't have to if you don't want to. You're not even irresponsible if you don't. You can actually just start working locally. You can start being a better person. You can start treating people better. So... That's, Laura, has it always been this way? No, I don't think it has. I think a process that started in the 90s was completed in 2012. It broke us. And if we're ever going to get back, we got to be people that see other human beings, made the image of God, treat everybody well, and spit ourselves out of this two-party system because it's part of what is breaking us. When we come back, I want to talk about tariffs. I want to talk about Greenland, I think I have another reminder going into football season for everybody. So we'll do that and more when we come back for the rest of the Corey Act Show. <music> Hi there. Welcome back to the Corey Act Show on Christian Talk 91.9 and 92.9 FM. If you're listening live on Saturday morning, hey, thanks. I appreciate that. And happy college football season for those who are into college. I'm more of an NFL guy. And you might be driving to one of the various places to watch a game. Thanks! So if you're listening on the way, appreciate that. Also, if you're listening to the podcast, wherever we distribute it, which is everywhere, thank you for listening there. When you share the show, when you tell someone about it, uh, every time you do that, an angel gets its wings. I'm just kidding. It's not true theologically. Also, angels don't have wings. That's not a theologically accurate statement. All right, here we go. Tariffs. The president of the United States said two things recently, one more important than the other, that made me realize we need to at least revisit tariffs. And also the response that I got on Facebook when I criticized the president's inane, stupid tariffs made me go, we don't, We are not a people of economics, are we? Like, we are not a people that have done our work on understanding the economics of the world. So, two things. So, first one. He starts tweeting out about how, the president starts tweeting out about how China's eating our lunch and they've been stealing, us, stealing from us for decades and we have to do these tariffs to fight back against China. Okay, so let me start here. The understanding of what China is doing in the global economy and how it affects the United States of America there's a little bit of a lack of understanding. I actually wish I could get in a room with Donald Trump and say, you say, you say that China is eating our lunch and they've been stealing from us. We have such, They've been eating our lunch. Will you care to tell me how? Can you give me some details? Part of what he talks about is the trade deficit. We have such a large trade deficit with China. I'm going to be a little bit of a jerk here on this, this uh, example, but this example is academically correct. Trade deficits are meaningless. I'll give you this example: my trade deficit with Quick Trip gas station is incredibly large. I have spent, I bet, untold thousands of dollars at Quick Trip over the last several years. They've never bought anything from me. I doubt anyone at Quick Trip's ever listened to my podcast or gone and 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 bought anything I was selling. I doubt that they've ever bought anything from me. I have a giant trade deficit with Quick Trip. And I'm not upset about it at all. Because I can't make pizza as good and as conveniently and for as cheaply as they do. I can't make my morning coffee as high quality and with as much convenience as they do it. Yeah, I bought it from them. I have a trade deficit from them and I'm better off for it. I'm better off that I didn't have to grow my own coffee in the backyard and process it in here. I'm better off that I didn't have to get a cow and milk it and then make my own cheese. And co- I don't even know how you make pizza, guys. I'm trying to come up with the example in my head. I'm better off for my trade deficit. It doesn't mean anything. It's a meaningless, utterly ridiculous measurement. We got a big trade deficit with China. Yeah, we buy stuff from China. I'm talking like in the first month of an economics course, you learn about comparative advantage. There are some countries that they can do something for so much cheaper, and they do it so efficiently, you shouldn't do it for yourself. They're so good at it, you should buy it from them. We'll just take rice for an example for the moment. The way that rice used to be grown, the, the Asian countries were so much better at it. It was better. It actually, we'd save money. Instead of doing it ourselves, we should just buy it from them. That's good for us. And it leads to a trade deficit. But it's better for our economy. Because our resources are being used more efficiently. I'll give you another example I'm making up on the top of my head. It's probably going to be a bad example because I don't think well on my feet. Here we go. Let's just, I don't know, I'm wearing shoes. We'll use shoes. Let's just say China is really good at making shoes. They're just, they're so awesome at it. And we have shoemakers here, shoe manufacturers here in the United States. And what we find is that for the same quality, and there's, there's as much demand here stylistically that... There are shoemakers in China that they're able to get their shoes here. They can even ship them here, and they're able to sell them for fifty bucks a pair. Uh, and for the, this type of shoe, uh, and the folks that are making them here are able to do it, but those they always cost like eighty bucks. And so the Chinese ones are winning. And so there's there's worry. Well, all the shoemakers that make this kind of shoe in America are going to go out of business. They're going to lose to China. China's eating our lunch. Wait a second. Are you telling me we're going to make a national policy that affects 310 million people so that a couple tens of thousands of people in the shoe industry can keep their jobs? That doesn't make economic sense. For those 10,000 people, or tens of thousands of people in the shoe industry, there is some compassion I have for you, but we're not going to. What about the rest of us? What about the rest of the economy? What about the family? with four or five kids that can save you know if they got to buy four pair of shoes 30 bucks less per pair of shoes for four kids three times four so it's 120 bucks that family saved that they can go spend at the grocery store that they can go spend on something else it actually puts more money in their pocket and we have a trade deficit with China over our shoes but who benefited we did that is such a dumb. I'm talking about, like, that's a deep level of stupid to think the trade deficit means anything negative at all. If someone's better at it, and it opens up more dollars for us to go do other things in our own country, let's do that. We're actually better off for it. I don't know why that's so hard for people to understand. So I would love to know, China, they're eating our lunch. How? What are they doing? Here's a couple things they're doing that's actually unethical. One is intellectual property theft. So they actually do steal intellectual property, but then also they extort intellectual property. My dad gave me this example. He had a long career with BMW, and when BMW wanted to try to start selling cars in China, the, the deal China made is... You've got to give us access to all this information from your business and how you're making cars, manufacturing cars. If you want access to our market of customers, you have to do this. That's unethical and that's wrong, but BMW chose to do it. What does that tell you about the deal? BMW knew, I can still make money. I'm therefore going to do it. If they didn't make money and profit off of it, would they have done it? Of course not. So China is doing that. It's unethical. It's bad. It's wrong. And if it's so bad and so wrong that you want to lose money and not do business with them, fine. Don't. We all we're all free here, guys. We can deal with China, or we can not deal with China. They've got a billion customers over there, and if they want to make some, sh- they want to make some rules for us to have access to their customers. That actually hurts their economy. It makes them use their resources less efficiently. Their consumers have less money in their pockets, fewer choices in their pockets. They actually hurt their economy by making those rules and doing those underhanded things but yeah they're they're wrong and immoral and ethical. They hurt themselves by doing it. and do we have does it hurt us too? Yeah, sure. We'd love to have access to their market. Most of us are choosing to have access to their market, by the way. Most businesses are just choosing, yeah, they're doing some stuff we don't want, but there's a billion customers over there. We're still going to go. So yes, China does some things they shouldn't do. China misbehaves. And if you want to go to the World Trade Organization and you want to try to apply pressure by using... Uh, the relationships that we have with Japan or Taiwan, if you want to try to apply some other types of pressure to get them to behave differently, that's fine. But your response is to tax your own people. Your response is, we're going to tariff your products right back to us and it hurts us and our economy. It's inarguable it's hurting our economy, guys. Growth is slowing. We are teetering. We're getting really close to flirting with recession here. 600 points dropped in the Dow. These tariffs are hurting us, and there's no good reason to do it. Ronald Reagan gave a great, great example of this. He talked about trade wars like this. Just say you're, This is an example from Ronald Reagan. You're in a boat with three people. And one guy gets up with a gun and starts shooting holes in the bottom of the boat, creating a problem for for everybody. Is your best response for the other two guys to get up, get out their guns, and also start shooting holes in the bottom of the boat? That's what you do when you tariff them back. So China sets up their own stupid tariffs, trade barriers, and so you want to just start shooting more holes in the bottom of the boat. It's a terrible idea. This is bad policy. It's bad economics, and here's what's most important: it hurts people. It hurts us to get into these trade wars. It hurts actual human beings in their own budgets, in their own lives, in their own households when you get into this stupid tariff business. Freedom and free trade is better. It's better for people, and if China doesn't want to be involved with free trade, let them sell let them hurt themselves. It's going to hurt us some, it's going to hurt them more, and let's get co- let's continue to operate with freedom. This, this is the best way to run an economy is provide human freedom. Two more things on this. well, one more thing. i I also just wish we would come back to that place amongst conservatives. do we Do we hate taxes or not, guys? I thought we were the people that didn't like taxes. This is why I signed up. One of the reasons I signed up with conservatism is taxes are bad. I don't like them. They're necessary evil in some ways, but I want them as low as possible. I want to find ways to make government more efficient and have government do less so the taxes can be lower. And here I got a bunch of folks who call themselves conservatives just pushing on these tariffs. It would be one thing. And I, I want to be, I need to make this really clear and calm down to make the point. If the president came out and said, this is bad economics, but we're making a moral point, we are saying that China violates human rights, China does unethical things, and it's going to hurt us to punish them, but we want to try to punish them through tariffs. This is bad economics, and it's going to hurt. What, what I'm saying to you is it's the right thing. It's the moral thing. And sometimes the right and moral thing hurts. If the president came out and did that, I'd still not like it a ton, but I'd go, all right, fine. I mean, if, you, if we're ready to go to a moral war with China and it's going to hurt our economy, all right, that's fine. But to act like you're doing a good economic thing for your people, these tariffs are not good for your people. <sighs> All right, a couple other pieces of news here. I want to revisit the Greenland thing really quickly. You remember a couple of weeks ago when the president of the United States was like, we should buy Greenland, and then he was very upset. This is what occurred to me. He was very upset with the prime minister or president, I don't know what they call that thing, uh, in Greenland, because she called it absurd, I think it was, absurd. And so he postponed or canceled a diplomatic trip to Denmark, yeah, that's who owns Greenland, and he was (laughs) so hypocritical. He said, uh, she made nasty comments. They were nasty. Serious, man. If, if If the standard for meeting with people, making diplomatic trips, is nasty comments, literally no one should meet with you. Literally no one should meet with Donald Trump Because his entire life, especially his political life, has been made up of making nasty comments. Who who hasn't he insulted? I mean, he's insulted Mitch McConnell just like he's insulted Nancy Pelosi. He's he's insulted the Freedom Caucus, the conservatives, just like he's insulted AOC. Who hasn't he insulted? But she made a nasty comment, so I don't want to meet with her. Well, how about this, man? Grow up and grow some thick skin. Her nasty comment was that it was absurd that you wanted to buy that part of another country. She made the comment because it's true. But for him to call something nasty, it's a nasty comment. You're like the president of nasty comments. You're also the president of the United States. But you make nasty, mean comments. It's like your thing. It's how you got elected. Partly. And so for him to say that, it was just terrible. Another thing I wanted to get to on the president. Can someone, you know, can someone in the White House, please, please? Can you stop him before he retweets some retweets someone who called him the King of the Jews? Wayne Allen Root is a moron. He calls himself a conservative commentator. He's not. He's just a dumb Trump worshiper, and he called the president the King of the Jews. There's so much wrong with that, like. I only have two minutes left in the show. I can't tell you all of the things wrong with calling an American president and this American president the king of the Jews. There's a lot wrong here. And the president retweeted it. Stop it, please. Like For politicians, for all of them. Your job is to make it easy to support you. I would hope that made it harder for Trump people to support him. Retweeting a statement, calling yourself the king of the Jews, that's bad. That's objectively bad. uh, One more thing on Twitter. You know, the president says uh, recently, I hereby order American companies to find other options besides China. I know this is true. If President Obama would have done that, I'd have lost my mind. Who do you think you are? What do you think the presidency is? You don't hereby order anything. You're not the king. That's how I would have handled it with President Obama, and I want to handle it consistently with President Trump. So, bro, who do you think you are? What do you think the presidency is? What do you think government is? You don't hereby order anything. That's not how this works. I thought we fought a revolution over this stuff to do away with the kings and all that. Oh, guy's giving me he's giving me such a headache so we're done that's the whole show soon we'll get back to doing a football segment at the end of each show can i ask you one last time will you share it will you i encourage you deeply share the show with other people tell someone about it if you would just like it and review it and tell someone and connect on facebook twitter and instagram it'd be highly appreciated we'll be back with another new edition of the show next week until then peace and love